This episode is brought to you by our sponsors and by listeners like you on Patreon. Bomba's vision is simple. Make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombas, you are also giving to someone in need. Bombas has designed their socks, shirts, and underwear to be the clothes you can't wait to put on every day. The Webb family over here has used them, and we love them. They're comfy, fun-looking, and come in family packs, which is awesome. I've never seen that before. I use my Bombas socks when I go on runs, and they're extremely comfortable. Everything they make is soft, seamless, tagless, and has a cozy feel. And the Bombas t-shirts are made with thoughtful design features like invisible seams, soft fabrics, and perfect waist so they hang just right. And did you know that socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the three most requested clothing items at homeless shelters? That's why Bombas donates one for every item you buy. So far, Bombas customers like you have helped donate over 50 million items of essential clothing. Go to bombas.com slash purple rocket and get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash purple rocket for 20% off. Bombas.com slash purple rocket. Parents, school's out, summer's here, and the kids are back at home with a lot of free time. Go wild with wonder this summer without school. Enroll in a fun, flexible learning experience with over 140,000 online classes and camps for every kid with any interest. Look, as a fellow parent, I get the pressure of finding something engaging and useful for our kids to do over the summer break. OutSchool can help keep them engaged and their minds stimulating their imaginations firing. They offer every kind of class you can imagine, from entrepreneurship to freestyle dancing to art, even magic lessons. There's something for kids of all ages, grades, and interests. We homeschool in the web house, and we plan to get Aurora and Cohen signed up with some out-school activities to keep them engaged in a fun way and help them explore their talents and maybe discover some new ones. Out-school will have your kids loving to learn and having fun doing it. Head over to outschool.com slash purple rocket and use code purple rocket to learn all about out-school summer programs and save $15 on your child's first class. That's O-U-T-S-C-H-O-O-L dot com slash purple rocket to save $15 on your child's first class. Outschool.com slash purple rocket code purple rocket. And don't forget, parents, supporting our sponsors is a great way to support this podcast. And now, back to our show. The Purple Rocket Podcast presents Winglings Under the Willow Tree. Previously on Winglings, Will fought and defeated the Bungabo. The horrid pig creature had been patrolling the Tulip Kingdom and was keeping them trapped in their swamp until the Dark Legions could return to attack. Once the beast was destroyed, the Tulip Queen trusted Will. She told him how to finish his journey to the Temples of Light and where to take his parents to restore their memory. The cure for his parents lay with the Cacti Clan in the Deserts of Dread. 
Before they left for their destination, the Tulip Queen gave Will a necklace to pass on to Magborn next time he saw him. And now for Episode 9, The Deserts of Dread. The journey through the forest, away from the swamps, was not nearly as difficult as the journey in. For the most part, there were well-groomed trails and few obstacles in our way. Before setting off, we helped the tulip fairies evacuate their glorious swamp kingdom. It was a sad day. The thrill of having defeated the bungabow had worn off, and the realization that they'd never see their home again had settled in. The last we saw them, they were twinkling away over the swamps in their blue clothes, carrying their possessions and surrounded by fireflies. A circle of guards escorted the queen out last. She never told me where they were headed. Despite having won her trust, there were still things she wouldn't risk revealing. I couldn't blame her. We journeyed north, opposite of their evacuation, and headed for the Deserts of Dread. I couldn't wait to get my parents' memory back. I was sick of being a stranger to them. Another part of me, however, was dreading the Deserts of Dread. Guess that's why it was named that. So people would dread going there without really knowing why. It's a good way to keep out unwanted visitors. As we walked through the last stretch of Forest Trail, I fiddled with the Tulip Queen's necklace in my pocket. The feathers and crystal were smooth in my hand. I wondered why in all the kingdom would she want me to deliver such a thing to Magborn. How did she know him? Were they friends or enemies? Magborn wasn't exactly a sugar plum fairy. He was rough around the edges. And I remembered his warning of the danger simply uttering his name could bring. I clenched my jaw and fought back the hard, sour feelings bubbling up within me at the thought of him. <sighs> For distraction, I turned my attention to M. Strapped to my backpack, she was giggling and reaching for a baby monarch butterfly fluttering above us. That happy little face of hers was the only thing keeping our mood light. The way her curly red hair bounced above her rosy cheeks made me smile. Somehow, I can't explain why, having her near me made me feel confident and at peace. She was my most trusted companion. I could always count on her to lift my spirits. Over the last couple days, her little coos by my ear were starting to sound more like words. Say will, I coached. Come on, today's the day. Say will. I pointed to myself to make sure she knew what she was learning. Emerald's big green eyes looked me up and down. And then, with a big smile spreading her chubby cheeks, she shouted, Will! Did you hear that? Did you hear it? She said my name! Tim smiled for the first time since we'd left. Well, tickle my toes. She did. I pointed to my chest. Say it again. Will. Will. Will! She chirped, kicking her legs and bouncing in her pack. Unbelievable! Her first word! I cheered. Ma and Dad looked touched by the scene but they weren't enjoying it nearly as much as I was. Seeing their lost expressions dampened my joy a bit. 
Here was their daughter saying her first word, and they couldn't celebrate it because they didn't remember she was theirs. An awful shame. She's a cutie, Daz said with a half-smile. Okay, okay. Can you say, Walter? I asked her. She giggled a little and again said, Will! Who's Walter? Da asked. I let out a sad breath. <sighs> That's you, Da. Your name's Walter. Da recoiled. Lie! Now you've gone and given us names! I won't hear another word! We told you enough with the law and dabbit! Ma shook her head. These games must stop! You're confusing the poor girl! Just... Just take us to safety as promised, and we'll be on our way. Yes, ma'am, I replied sadly. Tim was quiet again, as he had been most of our journey. The croaking slime ball barely said a few words to me the whole trip. I think we may have made eye contact twice. No, maybe once. I got the impression that he felt embarrassed, like he'd tried to swoop in to save the day and failed. But that was ridiculous. I was proud of what he'd done and glad to have him next to me. That was just Timothy for you, always feeling like he was living in my shadow, always feeling one step behind. At least that's what he told me once when we were younger. I never thought much of it. I never cared to compare myself to him or any fairy friends for that matter. And yet, here we were, awkwardly avoiding each other. All I could do was hope his self-pity episode passed as it usually did. Eventually, the trees came to an end, and the grassy soil turned to sand. Before us was an immense desert. Sandy dunes rolled on as far as the eye could see. In the distance, I could make out the thin outline of the Hagaroth Mountains. Good, we were heading in the right direction. A narrow stone path lay at our feet. It winded into the distance and over the closest dune. The Deserts of Dread? I thought. They looked anything but dreadful. Hot and empty, maybe, but not dreadful. I looked at the group. Remember, stay on the path no matter what. That is a warning from the Tulip Queen herself. What if I trip and step off? Tim croaked. Then the sand sucks you away and picks your bones clean. What? I rolled my eyes. Gobbers, Tim, I'm kidding. Light nose. She didn't tell me. Just stay clear of it. The group nodded and we continued. For miles we walked, up and down and around the dunes. The sun beat down upon us, seeming as though it had doubled in size since we'd started. Sweat dripped off my wet face and soaked my shirt. All of us were nearly spent. If it weren't for the mountains growing in the distance, I would have thought the path was leading us in circles. A hot gust of wind hit us as we made our way over the top of the largest dune yet. With it, sand blew hard against our legs and then up to our faces. I quickly hooded M's face and then shielded my own with my shirt. Waiting for the wind to pass, I stopped and felt the flying grains of sand prickle against my skin. Barely breaking through the howl of the desert wind, I could hear a faint buzzing sound. It was growing louder. Alarmed, I scanned over the dunes until I saw where it was coming from. A swarm of black dots was flying towards us. Bees! I shouted. 
Quickly, I pulled out my blowpipe and started shooting them down. One by one, they fell as I spat dart after dart at them. They swooped down at me with their shiny black stingers pointed. I ducked, rolled, and fired. More fell. After their first wave of attack, they curved around to make a second go of it. M cried on my back. Didn't think you'd make it this far, scrub, came a voice. I whirled around to see Magborn standing on the path behind me. His cloak and braided beard blew in the wind. In his hand was his Zaxlin sword, Smoke. You, I growled. You left me to die! Obviously that plan didn't work out so well, did it? He said with a wicked smile. Watch your head, boy. I turned and ducked just in time to dodge three diving bees. All three dropped with my leaker darts sticking out of them. Came a shout behind me. I turned and pulled my Zaxxon free, catching Magborn as he chopped down at me with his sword. Clang, clang! Our sword's wings came alive and jerked our hands violently as they clashed. Back and forth we stepped, exchanging blows and blocks. Enough, Will! Gabriel shouted at me mid-strike. At first I thought it was coming from Magborn, but then I saw that his mouth wasn't moving. Enough! My sword shouted again. Why would my Zaxxon be telling me to give up? I thought in frustration. A few paces away, Tim and my parents watched as I swung my sword at nothing but air, occasionally ducking out of the way of some invisible attacker. They looked at each other confused as I grunted and swiped, making a complete fool of myself. Finally, Tim splashed water from the canteen over me. Startled, I shook my head and looked around. Magborn and the Blackbees were gone. You all right? Tim asked. I looked around in shock. Uh, I was fighting with... Nobody, Tim finished. You must have heat exhaustion, mate, because you're saying things you are. Nearly stuck me in the forehead with one of your darts. Getting my wits about me, I sheathed Gabriel and felt back at my quill of darts. There was only one left. I'd shot most of them at nothing, and now they were out buried somewhere in the sand. For a second, I almost stepped off the path to look for them before I realized what was happening. Don't trust anything, you see, I told them. It's the sands. The Tulip Queen warned me that it could play tricks on us. I forgot she mentioned it. I'm sorry if I put any of you in danger. Tim and his parents looked at me nervously and then at the sand around them. I tightened my pack and calmed M. Shh, it's alright. Okay, I think I fought enough with nobody for one day. What do you say we set up camp? Tim and I pitched the invisible teepee and made sure to nail it down right over the path, keeping off the sand the best we could. If anyone was going to come wandering down the trail at night, they were in for a surprise. I pictured someone bonking into our invisible tent in the dark. It'd be enough to give anyone a heart attack. Before retiring to the tent for the night, we sat around a warm pixie fire and looked up at the stars. Da was muttering to himself about seeing water down at the bottom of the dune. He kept saying how thirsty he was and that he needed to go jump into the lake. 
Of course, we tried telling him there was no water down there, and that he was just seeing things, but he couldn't be deterred. It didn't help that Tim had splashed the last of our water over me to snap me out of my bug-out incident. But with a little soothing from Ma, Da was convinced to go to bed. Tim went to bed as well, but not until he'd given me another one of those weird, embarrassed, sad puppy looks. When he closed the tent behind him, it was just me, the pixie fire, and Mother Moon. Mother Moon, I said up at her. Help us make it to the Cacti Clan. Help us get my parents' memory back. We can't go on like this much longer. Then Tim helped Tim to feel better about himself. This whole feeling guilty about the Bungabo is getting ridiculous. I need my old pal back. And this desert moon protect us from it. Guard us from its troubled powers. The shadows on the moon's surface shifted and pretty soon a gentle face was looking down at me. You have been brave, Willem, Mother Moon said. The time for your parents' remembrance is soon at hand. They will serve you well, as will your most trusted companion, Timothy. Be patient. You will soon make it through the desert, and the dread will come to an end. Remember, deserts are barren areas with little precipitation. Thus, you are protected from dangerous rainfall during your travels. Few plants and animals have adapted to life in this desert, which protects you from the threat of hostile creatures. This desert, like most, is dry and hot. Water evaporates quickly here, but you will find more water when you reach the Cacti Clan. The water you can trust, the people you cannot. What do you mean? Wait, Mother Moon, please tell me! But she wouldn't answer. The shadows faded back into craters, and the moon stared down at me, faceless and silent. The breeze now carried with it a chill and a surprisingly cold bite considering the heat of the day. After putting out the fire, I climbed into the tent and went to bed. Something moving by my feet woke me in the middle of the night. I sat up just as the tent door was closing. I watched through the see-through fabric as Tim staggered onto the path and tripped over the fire pit. Tim, I said, stepping out after him. Tim, where are you going? Tim froze and then slowly swiveled his head. Snap! His tongue flew out and caught something. With a slurp, it whipped back into his mouth. He chewed and then did it again. Snap! His head jerked to the other side and again. Snap! 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 It was then that I realized he wasn't catching anything at all. He was seeing things. Tim, can you hear me? I whispered. Shh! You're scaring off all the dragonflies. Go back to bed. I'll bring you back a midnight snack if you like. Snap! Snap! I ran over and grabbed his hand. Finally, he looked down at me. Tim, I said calmly. There are no dragonflies. Come back to bed and I'll make you breakfast in the morning. Tim groaned. All right, but it better be good. The best you've had in months, honest to pixie. Together we climbed back into the tent and went to sleep. 
The next morning, I woke up to the sounds of Ma sobbing. He's gone! He's gone! She cried. I rubbed my eyes and stepped out of the tent. Who's gone? My husband. He's gone! I looked at Tim for answers. He shrugged. We woke up this morning and he wasn't here, he said. I rubbed my forehead. I knew I should have slept by the tent door, I thought. We have to do something, Ma cried. We have to find him. I looked out over the dunes. There were no signs of footprints in the sand, but that didn't mean anything. It'd been a windy night, and they could have easily blown away, unless he was snatched up by a hawk. With Ma's cries in the background, I considered setting off after him, but there was something holding me back. You could say it was fear, fear of wandering into the sands and confronting the ghost of Magborn again, fear of facing an all-too-real army of dark minions, only to find myself swiping my sword at air for the rest of my days. No, I wouldn't do it. As much as I hated the cowardice within me, the other part knew we'd get more help if we made it to the Cacti Clan. Please, please do something, Ma pleaded. We'll get him back, I assured her. But first, we head to the Cacti Clan. Tim gave me a surprised look. Ma huffed and puffed, but I cut her off before she could protest. We'll get him back, you have my word. But I'll need the help of the Cacti Clan. We're here to help the two of you. I know it's hard. I know it's confusing. But please, just please trust me. Ma calmed down and then nodded dramatically. That seemed to do it for her. After packing up camp, we set off down the path. Hours later, we came to a large wall made of adobe brick. The thick blocks of clay were stacked high in the sand and wrapped around the entire inner city. Two giant cacti leaned against each other and touched at the top to form an arched entrance. Standing at the gate was a fairy guard— he was short, thorny, and green, and wore a frown above his bulging chin. "'You last?' grumbled the guard, his horned wings spreading to intimidate. "'I don't believe so,' I said. "'This is the Cacti Clan, no?' The guard shifted his huge jaw side to side. "'What is it to you, worm?' I leaned in so only he could hear. "'I'm here to restore my parents' memory.' I'm told there's someone here who can help me. Help you, a pathetic glittering lightwing. The guard looked at me in disgust, turning the thorn sword in his hands. Why would I want to go and do something like that? Hmm, this isn't getting me anywhere, I thought. Let's just say I have a rich reward for the one who helps us, and my guess is there'll be enough reward to share. <laughs> share? Never shared nothing in my life. What's mine is mine. But if you say you got something to give, I'll give you one hour. Three. One and a half, he mumbled. Two and three quarters. One and three quarters. Two and two tenths. One and ten tenths. I mean, oh, whatever, just go. His name's Donnie and he lives in the can. Thank you. In we went. Beyond the gate were flat dirt roads lined with giant saguaro cacti. 
The green prickly plants towered over us and cast welcome patches of cool shade. In their arms were homes built of thorns and rotten prickly pear fruit. Baby cactus fairies stretched their wings from recently bloomed cactus flowers. The rest of the cactus fairies weren't half as cute. The short, frustrated balls of thorns were like angry puffer fish with wings. They fluttered about, arguing with each other, shoving one another, and just being rude. From the few conversations I could overhear, their language consisted almost entirely of insults. I stopped just in time as a couple of red and black spotted armadillos nearly rolled over me in the middle of the road. From there, we quickened our pace. The last thing I wanted was to deal with more of these creatures than need be. Finally, at the end of the road, I saw the metal can tipped over on its side. Rusted and with the lid pried open as a porch roof, the empty can of beans sat alone between two tumbleweeds. I shot Tim a what-the-heck look and then gave the can a knock. Angry grunts and curses sounded behind the cardboard door before it opened a crack. Smushed into the opening was the fat, prickly face of a grumpy middle-aged cactus fairy. "'Nope, don't want it,' he said out of his squished lips. "'I don't want any of your lousy pixie candles. Go away.' "'We're not here to sell you,' I started to say, but the man interrupted me. "'Not candles? Then let me guess. A big fancy book collection that I have absolutely no use for, other than to clobber you dirtballs over the head with?' "'No? Then it's the coupons again, isn't it? Or a thorn filer collection? Wait, are you my cousins?' The Patoli family? No, 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 and no, I replied. Phew, you never know when the Patolis will end up on your doorstep. Okay, so what do you ratheads want? <laughs> well, assuming you're Donnie, we're told that you can help restore my parents' memory. Donnie looked at Tim and my ma. Maybe? You know, you have some freakish parents there, bub. Quite the couple. Well, was it really dark when she fell for this guy? He looked at Ma. You know he's a toad, right? That's not my dad, I said. My father wandered off into the desert last night. Oh, well, I hope he included you in the will. I took a step closer. I need your help getting him back. I put my hand on my Zaxlin for him to see. The distinguished weapon, however, didn't exactly have the intimidating effect I was hoping for. The man cocked his head. Are you trying to threaten me with your metal stick, Pear Cake? Look at this face. Look at this face. See all these thorns? I can headbutt you, and you'd think you'd fallen headfirst into a beehive. You're talking to Mace Face here. Now, horrible meeting you. Have a lousy day. Goodbye. He went to close the door. Wait, I said. There's a reward. Donnie puckered his lips and raised his eyebrows. Listening? I'll give you this blowpipe, handmade, and a leaker dart. It's a poisonous dart that paralyzes your victim. I showed him my old blowpipe I'd used back home. Donnie flicked at a big thorn protruding out his chin. Hmm... A paralyzing dart. Interesting. Unique. Could come in handy with the crying child next door. You have a deal. Relieved, I offered my hand to make it official. 
With a blank expression, Donny raised his thorny hand. Sure about that? Right. I pulled my hand back. Give me a minute. I'll be right out. Minutes later, Donny was leading us out the city gates and down the path. Once we were out on the dunes, Donny reached down, grabbed a small handful of sand and popped it into his mouth. After a few chews, he swallowed. Tim and I looked at each other in disgust. Donny pointed to the sand. What are you waiting for, dirtbrains? Dig in if you don't want to lose your minds while we're out here. We have to eat the sand to keep from hallucinating? I asked. Not a dinner's worth, just a bite. When you don't have those huge adobe city walls shielding you from the blowing sand, it's the only protection. Come on, it's getting hot. Ma, Tim, and I squatted down and ate a big, grainy bite of the salty sand. How is it? Donnie asked, smiling. Hot and disgusting, I replied. <laughs> Didn't think you'd actually do it. You really are dirt brains. You saying we didn't need to do that? Tim said, insulted. Nope. What about the hallucinations? I asked. He shrugged. I'll smack you around if it gets bad. Now, where did you see your dad last? After spitting the last of the sand out of my mouth, I pointed to the dune where we'd camped. From there we set off through the desert, following Donnie's lead. Every so often he'd stop and run his finger through the sand, as if he was tracking a wild animal. So, uh, who told you about me? Donnie asked as we walked. The Tulip Queen, I answered. Donnie's thorned eyebrows shot up. The Tulip Queen? You're a well-connected buffoon, aren't you? What are you, her nephew or something? No, just a friend. Impressive. There aren't many who can call her that. She was right sending you to me. I've helped her associates with similar problems in the past, which is how she knew about me. Don't worry too much. It's a painless process. All we need to do is find your dad and then push him and your mom into a sand devil. Wait, what? You heard me? The little twirling tornadoes of sand out here? It swoops you up, rattles your brain a bit in the magical sand, and then spits you out good as new. Immediately I thought of Mother Moon's warning about how I couldn't trust the people of the Cacti Clan. Right, I said questioningly. From then on I put my guard up and kept the questions to a minimum. A couple hours in we saw a figure on the neighboring dune rolling around in the sand. Da! I shouted. I ran down the dune to him. There he was, laughing like he'd gone mad and splashing sand in his face. "'Isn't it wonderful?' he exclaimed. "'Welcome to my lagoon. Jump in! Jump in!' Donny marched up to Dan, and splashed him with water. Dash shook it off. "'What in the... Hey, what's going on? Why is my mouth full of sand?' Donny gave him a sip from his canteen to wash down the sand. Ma ran over and threw her arms around him. Donnie capped off his canteen and looked up. There it was. At the top of the tallest dune in front of us, the wind was starting to spin in the sand. There she blows, he mumbled. Get ready. All of us looked up at it. Sand swirled and swirled until a sand devil came spinning down the dune. 
It looked powerful and menacing, a far cry from a cure for brain damage, very much the opposite. Then again, I had just eaten a queen inkeel to cure dark magic. Could I trust him? For all I knew, Donnie would just let us fly into it, die, and then rob us of much more than the promised reward. He'd called us fools several times already. This would really prove it if we jumped into that thing and did ourselves in. Now's your chance, Donnie taunted. They only last a minute and they don't blow through often. Well, what are you waiting for? What's he talking about? Da asked. I looked at Donnie, my parents, M, and then at the Sand Devil. Donnie was growing frustrated. I'm not kidding, Dirtbrain, you're gonna lose it! I sprang off the ground, swooped up my parents, and flew for the whistling tornado. What are you doing? Put me down! Da yelled. We all shouted as I flew us straight into the Sand Devil. Immediately, we were whipped up into it. We twisted, twirled, flipped, and turned. I was just waiting for the awful moment when we'd come crashing together in the whirlwind. Then I'd be left with brain damage, too. Gradually, my twists and turns slowed as the wind died off. One last flip and I face-planted it hard into the sand. When I raised my head, I was so dizzy I thought I'd puke. I managed to slowly turn and look at my parents, who were also lifting themselves out of the sand. Our hair stood straight up in twisted clumps. Ma and I made eye contact. We stared long and hard at each other. Her expression was blank and absent. But then, as if a jolt of realization had burst into her mind, she smiled and jumped to her feet. Willem! she cried. Willem! She ran to me and embraced me. Dad, too, came running up. Oh, my boy! We knelt in the sand as a family and hugged, tears streaking down our faces. Coo! Em cooed from my backpack. Ma and Dad looked up at her as if they'd seen an angel. Emerald! they shouted, kissing her cheeks and giving her a good squeeze. Ma took her from my pack and kissed her a hundred times. Em giggled, then pointing to me, shouted, Well! Ma and Dad jumped in surprise. Did she just say, Well! She shouted again. We laughed and embraced again as a family. I put my hands on Dad's shoulders and studied him. Da, do you remember everything? Da's eyes wandered. It's all coming back to me. In jumbled pieces, but they're straightening out. Good. I said, relieved. I looked back at Donnie, who sat against a dune with his chubby-thorned arms folded. Thank you. This means everything. Donnie nodded. You're welcome. I'll be expecting that pipe and dart. He looked at the setting sun. We better head back before it gets dark. You think this place is kooky during the day? I looked around for Tim. He was gone. Tim? Tim! I shouted. Donnie clicked his tongue. If you're looking for your froggy friend, he took off just before you flew into the sand devil. Oh, great! He's probably seeing dragonflies again. Why didn't you stop him? Look, kid, I know a mindless hallucinator when I see one. Your friend Tim wasn't one of them. He walked out of here sharp as a cactus, had the eyes of someone who knew exactly what he was doing. There was no way... He had to be mistaken. Tim! I shouted again. 
Dad's eyes suddenly grew wide. No, no! What do you mean, no? I said. Not him. Not him? Not him! Dad nearly shouted. Dad, what are you talking about? It was him! It was him? Dad trembled at the memory. It was Tim! It's nice to see you again. You know what I had a really hard time with when I was recording this episode was saying prickly plants. I must have said prickly pants a hundred times trying to record this episode. I kept going, and the prickly pants, prickly pants, oh, I've got prickly pants, prickly, prickly pants. It's a tongue twister. You try saying prickly plants, okay? It's not easy. Man... What I go through for you guys, it's incredible. So I try to sneak in there a little piece about deserts and about how they are arid landscapes and they are defined by the little precipitation that they get. I think it's technically 10 inches or less per year. And not every desert looks like a sandy Sahara where there are sand dunes. Uh, A desert could be dirt and shrubs. It could be rocky and mountainous. Uh, Deserts can kind of come in a lot of shapes and forms. But that is the main defining factor, is the amount of rainfall they get during the year. And yes, it's true that it's difficult for an animal or plant to adapt to live in such an area because there's not as much water. But deserts still can be rich with wildlife. You've got Gila monsters. You've got different types of snakes, rodents, coyotes. There are a lot of... Uh, interesting wildlife. You should look it up with your parents. Uh, There's something really beautiful about deserts. Like I've said before, I grew up in Arizona, so I am familiar with the desert. And seeing some of those amazing swirl cacti that are huge, they're so tall. The desert's a really special place, and it's interesting to learn about. And there's nothing, nothing like monsoon season in the desert. When you get those desert storms coming in and that lightning is going nonstop and it's just pouring warm rain over you, it's something else. Anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Winglings Under the Willow Tree, which is a production of the Purple Rocket Podcast. Thank you guys for supporting these stories, for coming back week after week and listening. Please, please let me know what you think. Send me an email. Leave the podcast a review on iTunes. Or just tell a friend. Spread the word. I love doing it, and I love telling these stories, so I'm glad you're enjoying them. This is your host, Greg Webb.